I really feel like Bill's um, just kind of a, a guy that just loves local churches, and he he wants to help churches uh, no matter the size or where they're coming from. He just really wants to, he's a lover, so he just wants to come and be a blessing, and he's already done that to me, to my family, to this church. So with no further, what, what does ado mean? No further ado? <laughs> Brother Bill. Uh, <laughs> that's good, yeah. A do, a done, whatever, you know. Uh, well, it's good to just been a great uh, weekend here. Uh, my wife is envious because she couldn't be here. I, I just told her about all you incredible people. You're all incredible. And uh, it's, just, it's just a joy and a privilege. And, uh, but I wanted to, before I get started... I uh, travel all over the country, I see a lot of churches, I see a lot of pastors, and I've come to the conclusion there are basically two kinds of pastors, ranchers and shepherds. And I've been under ranchers before because they herd the sheep, and that's not a good thing, right? But a shepherd shepherds the sheep. The sheep. And I just, I just love uh, Neil's heart. I love Jen's heart. I mean, you've got, you've got, two, you've got a twofer, right? You've got a two-for-one and uh, I just love their heart. And what I was telling them last night in so many words, I don't know if I quite put it this way, but that you are evidence of their shepherding. That's because they were asking, how, would, how did I feel about you guys and maybe your response? And I said, all I could see was receptive hearts. And that comes from shepherds, not ranchers. So I just, I, I know you love them. I mean, many of you just told us how much, uh, told me how much you love uh, uh, these two, and uh, just praise God, uh, because I go to so many churches, they're still under the law, they're still under performance, and so not only do you have a shepherd, you have one who knows and lives and breathes life, both, 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 these, both these guys, and so I just want to say thank you, man, I just, uh, I, I, if you haven't figured it out, other than motherhood, being a pastor is the hardest job in the world, Right? And uh, so would you continue to pray for Neil? Uh, I mean, you know, the thing I've understood about pastors, and I'm going to write a book, and the book is called Pastors Are Human Too, right? They've got to live out what I'm teaching you. I'm, try, I'm, I'm living it out. What, he's, what you hear every Sunday, what you, you, you know, hear communicated, he's living it out. Both of them are. And, and it's not easy, especially in this culture. And so, uh, anyway, and I would, uh, I would invite you to Texas, but please don't come. I mean, what you do is drive up our land prices, so you stay here, I'll go back. We love you, but can I love you from Texas? Uh, no, we'd, we'd love to have you, but uh, I just want to say that it's just been, you know, a privilege to be here and to be with you, and uh, uh, I, hope, I hope you don't mind if I describe you this way. You are good soil. You're good dirt. You remember the parable of the soils? You know, there are four kinds, and you're good soil. And so I, I know God has brought you here and to be a part of an incredible body because we know how dark it is out there, don't we? And the light lives within you, and he wants to express his light through you. Well, I better not get preaching because then we'll be here way past football games, I'm sure. I guess, what is it, San Francisco and Seattle is the big one out here, right? Uh, Oh, Seattle and Green Bay, that's right. Yeah, San Francisco was already yesterday. So, All right, well, let's, uh, let's get started. What I want to do um, 
is for those of you that have not been here for the last two or three days, you're going to get the 10-minute synopsis of four sessions. And, uh, but I wanted to let you know that uh, the title of this is Living a Transformed Life. Well, Lord, I just thank you for the awesome privilege of being here. Uh, this is a church that is about you. It's a church that loves you. And Lord, I just thank you for every saint here. And uh, Lord, I just pray that I've so enjoyed being with them this time. And I just thank you for the deposit you've made. And pray that, Lord, as we wrap this up today, that um, my deep desire is that you give each one of them a deeper hunger and thirst for you. Give them a deeper sense of your presence, even a even deeper sense of your love for them. And so, Lord, we, we just come before you today and we stand in awe. We know where we deserve to end up, and yet you've saved us from that. But, Lord, there's another salvation, and it's saving us from ourselves. This self-life which wants to try to live independent of you. So, Lord, would you just persuade us there's no other option but you. Amen? So, for those of you that weren't here, there's a book back there that covers everything we've talked about in the conference called Living Life from a New Source. So, today, um, what I want to do is kind of wrap things up. Let me go ahead and um, just, for those of you that have been here, this will be your review. We'll have a pop quiz at the end of this section. But there are two ways to live the Christian life. For those of you that weren't here, I just want to kind of go through some things. One is a life, and one is the life. The a life is the one I lived for 30 years, where it was about me trying to do something for God, live for God, keep rules, keep checklists, only to discover 30 years later there's actually another life that Christ wants us to live, and it's called the life. And so when we look at what Jesus says in John 14, 6 and John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the conclusion that we come to is that the Christian life is a person, it's Christ himself. We also see what Paul said, he affirmed this in Philippians 1.21, to live to me is Christ. Isn't it interesting, he didn't say to live to me is a checklist, rules, or formulas. So this is where I want you to take a look and see, have you been living a checklist life, a rules life, or has it been Christ himself? And Christ is your life means that He is your source. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. And what is He the source for? Everything you need. He's the provider and producer. Well, let, me, let me just put it this way. Everything you need is in Christ who is in you. So Christ is your source. It means He's the provider and producer of what you need and what He promises. And we came down to a choice. And the choice is this. That if you want to put faith in yourself as the source, it's going to be a lifeless, powerless, unchanged life. But faith in God as your source is a life of this one of life, power, and transformation. And so we, we started getting into the application of what it looks like. I'm going to just give you an example for those of you that weren't here yesterday. And for those of you that were, I've got a new example. But let's just assume you're struggling with trying to figure something out. You've got an issue. You've got a problem. You've got something that's beyond you. And, and your first step of faith is, I can't figure out this problem. Now remember yesterday we had two options. One was to either hold on to whatever it is, and uh, for those of you that weren't here, this is a burning charcoal, a piece of burning charcoal in this guy's hand. What happens if we hold on to that as opposed to entrust it 
to give it to God. Because what we're really saying is, I can't figure out this problem. I'm entrusting it to you, and I'm asking you to be my wisdom and my discernment. I'll tell you what, the, the, those two words have gotten me out of more trouble than anything, because when I'm sitting there, especially ministering to a hurting person, do you think I know their heart? I don't even know my own heart. And there's just many times I'm sitting there and I'm saying, Lord, we, I can't figure out what their issue is. You know, they're, they're bouncing all over the place trying to tell me what the problem is, but not getting down to it. And I'm saying, Lord, would you be my wisdom and discernment? I cannot tell you how many times, and it's a thought. He just brings a thought to mind. It may be the form of a question. It may be an answer. And so if you're in a situation now that you're trying to figure something out, you see, if we can figure it out, why do we need God? Amen? So I, I just think there's so many places that we're at that we can either live below the line in these unresolved problems and live in frustration, anxiety, or worry, or we can live above the line. And this to me, I think, if you don't take anything else away from our time together, the real question is, is where do you want to live? Below the line. We've just got all these unresolved issues. We have this conflict. We have these false beliefs. We have the unbelief. <clears throat> we have all these things that are restricting us living what Jesus calls the abundant life. So as we take the steps of faith, my challenge to you is, is that list that you've been looking at for the last two or three days, would you pick one item off that that you really want to experience? It could be acceptance. Uh, it could be love. It could be worth. Uh, it could be security. It could be peace. And, and my desire for you, my prayer for you is that you'll be intentional. In other words, you'll begin to take these intentional steps of faith. But remember this diagram for yesterday that as we begin to take these steps of faith, early on the flesh has such a grip. You know, my, my struggle was rejection, and so as I began to, and this, this timeline for me in, in terms of acceptance and rejection was 18 months, because the, the grip of rejection was so strong that I had to begin to walk in Christ's acceptance, and you can see, we, we take a step of faith, and then the grip of the flesh drags us back down below the line, but what, what do we see as we go from left to right? I grew in my understanding and belief that I'm accepted and began to really not believe and move away from the false belief that I was rejected. But a word I want to talk about today, too, is that God's work in you is supernatural. Supernatural. And, and what this means is it applies to this, as we talk about this, is that you may not feel or experience God working. We talked about this in the last hour. As I begin to take these steps of faith, and this is simple. You know, people say, how do I do this or what do I do? It's real simple. Lord, I'm trusting you to be my fill-in-the-blank. But if, if you're sending anxiety, and I used to live in chronic anxiety, is that as I begin to take these steps of faith, and the, the step of faith was this, Lord, be my peace, right? Because what does an anxious person need? Well, as I began to take those steps of faith, I didn't feel any peace. But let me ask you a question. If I'm asking God to release who He is in me, do you think at the moment that I pray for peace, He's flooding me with His peace? But you see, we, I call that a faith peace. In other words, early on, I'm faithing it, I'm not feeling it. But the reason that I, as I was sharing, that I struggle with chronic fatigue is because I lived in chronic anxiety... Well, most of my life. 
And so now, there's so many more things to be anxious about, especially in this culture that we live in. What would it be like to walk in His peace? But the point being is, you may have to faith it before you feel and experience God working. Another part of supernatural is, even though we know by faith it is working, because of His promises. So we, He's promised, right? And then it says, God is not telling you how He's transforming your life by faith, but what do we know by faith? You know what I've discovered about us believers? We don't really like the word faith unless we're the object of it. You know, we, we, we are human beings. We want to feel and experience every part of life. We don't want to faith it because when you think about the word faith, does it necessarily have feeling or experience associated with it? Right? Well, right now, God is loving you. He's in you loving you right now. Do you feel it? You're experiencing it? Maybe some of you do. I'm not right now. But what do I know by faith because of His promise? He's loving me. As we talked about in the last hour, He loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen? I mean, nothing He can do about it. And so the, the, the point is, as we walk by faith, eventually we may experience it. So let me just give you this example. We, talk about, we talked about love, uh, living in agape love in the last hour. So as I begin to, in this case, uh, I was telling you about my one of my siblings that was named Jim, and I had to learn how to love him, and so I began to take steps of faith, and now, over time, and I wish it was that quick, don't you? But it took 18 months to love Jim. And, and God takes time, but I'm telling you, it's worth it, because I can stand here today and say, this is where I used to live, this is where God has me now. But there's going to be resistance, and I think that's something we need to kind of just talk about. And part of this resistance, it creates what Paul calls the fight of faith. And I just define it as occurs when you meet resistance from your enemies to walk of your, your walk of faith, and there will be resistance. In other words, there will be a fight as well. And this is why Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. So the question is, are you aware that there's a fight for your soul? That doesn't impact your salvation, right? Because we are totally secure in our salvation. But there's a fight, basically, to torpedo your walk with Christ. Because you know what the ultimate goal of Satan is? Is to have you turn away from God and go back to self. Because that's when he's got you. And that's where I lived for 30 years. I lived in this self-sufficient life. <clears throat> I didn't know there was a fight. But, and we're going to talk a little bit about the enemy here in a minute, but the this next question is, are you engaged in the fight? Because if not, then what's going to happen is we're going to give up on God and our walk of faith. We'll turn back to ourself as, sore, as the source to live our life, and no transformation, transformation will ever take place. And let me tell you, we, I have what is called the unholy trinity. All right? <clears throat> and it's made up of the flesh, the power of sin, and Satan. These are your greatest resistors. Two of them are internal. One is external. I think they're working together nonstop in your relationship. So let's talk about the flesh first because it says in Galatians 5.17, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. There is always going to be a struggle with your flesh. And, and basically the flesh resists your walk of faith by first of all trying to get you to use your own abilities to transform yourself. To the, the flesh wants to doubt God and give up on Him and His ability to transform you. And then finally to give in to the power of sin and the temptation by Satan and the demonic. 
Well, let me give you a visual of your flesh, and I hope you're not offended by this, but this is what it looks like, okay? Um, it's not you, but it's your flesh. And all of our flesh, I call it jackass flesh. Uh, but here's what the flesh says when it comes to transformation. Uh, I don't need to change. I don't want to change. Why don't you change? How about this? And then I don't need God. So the flesh is there. It's the wolf at the door. There's always a fight in this flesh. There's something that some people may not know about. It's called the power of sin. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, he said, it's not me, but sin which indwells in me. Now, it's not sins, because those have all been dealt with at the cross. It's called the power of sin. And what the power of sin is, is an internal power that seeks to draw you or tempt you to commit acts of sin. Now, are there any chocoholics in the room? Go ahead, let's raise our right hands. Amen. God bless you. You know, if there's not chocolate in heaven, I'm not sure I'm going. Okay? I'm just telling you right now. But let me tell you what the power, this power of sin looks like. Uh, we lived in Dallas uh, 18 years, and someone graciously uh, provided a, uh, a meal for Paige and I at this five-star restaurant. Uh, I've never eaten in one before or since, but I'm telling you what, it was worth it. You know, about five courses, and they're just bringing food. They're just bringing it out, you know. Well, my wife has an expression called sick full. Okay, and after about the fourth course, we were sick full. But, you know what the final course was? Help me. What's that? Chocolate. Well, okay, yeah. Uh, dessert, all right. So, anyway, the guy comes out with a dessert tray. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't put one more thing in me if I wanted to. But guess what was on the tray? Chocolate. So guess what I did? I took it, and I ate, and I got really sick. You know what I mean? That's the power of sin. The power of sin lives within us, serving up your flesh. How about some fear now? You need to be fearful. How about some anxiety now? How about some worry? So what you have within you is this thing called the power of sin. But another enemy that some churches, uh, I'm sure it's not this one, they just don't want to talk about. We didn't talk much about this guy, Satan the demonic. But in Ephesians 6.12, it says, For our struggle... Is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual for forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we're talking about Satan and the demonic. You know, if we could pull the curtain back right now and see what's going on behind the curtain, it scares to death. I mean, there's a battle going on. It's nothing really to fear, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But you need to realize... Satan has a strategy with each one of us, and it boils down to three words, steal, kill, and destroy. Let me just kind of give you three things I think the enemy tries to do. First of all, and, and I assume that every one of you is saved. If not, he's trying to keep you from being saved today. Another one is keep you from understanding Christ's life. If Christ isn't your life, then you're your life. You're the source. You're trying to do it, but what he's also doing, even though... Uh, Neil and I know Christ's life, it's just nonstop the enemy's trying to torpedo him and I in our walk, okay? But do you know what the greatest threat to Satan is? Is God's truth. Why? Because the truth will set you free. Do you remember what the lie will do? you remember what we talked about yesterday? What does the lie do? Keep you in bondage. 
So the more truth we learn, that in one sense thickens our spiritual armor and the enemy has less and less sway. In other words, for me, today, Satan's more of a gnat than an elephant, right? And so as we grow, the greatest fear of the enemy is the truth, so he's going to do everything he can to keep you from walking in the truth. But what do we know? According to 1 Corinthians 15, 57, the victory is already ours. He's been defeated. I don't know about you, but I want to be on the edge of hell when he throws Satan in it. Amen? So when we look at this, the thing we need to understand is, if you have all of Christ in you and all the victory, you have all the victory you need over the flesh, the power of sin, Satan, and the demonic. And here's something else, too, that I don't know if you realize this, but you have about 50,000 thoughts every day. And we're barrage. I mean, thoughts from Satan, the world, from others, the flesh. And what this does is create a nonstop battle in your mind. And I've got a whole study on this because I just think this is where the battle is won or lost. So here's the question. When I do the Battle of the Mind conference, this is the question I ask. Do you think about what you're thinking about? You know, most people, they've got an open-door policy. Now, I don't know where the, the poor neighborhood here is here, but in South San Antonio, if I were to go over there and tell those people to undo the, dead, the four deadbolts and take the door off the hinges and stick it in the garage, do you know what they would tell me? You're crazy. I'm not going to do it. But is it possible we've done that with the thoughts? <clears throat> in other words, do you have to take ownership of every thought that comes through your mind? If you do, what's happening is, is the negative thoughts are reinforcing the lies that you believe. So here's my encouragement to you. Put the door back on the hinges, put the deadbolts, put a peephole in there, and question these thoughts. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that practically looks like, but that's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take how many thoughts captive? What does every mean? Oh, thank you. Every thought captive. Well, here's some of the thoughts that as we start walking by faith, all right, we, we begin this journey of understanding Christ's life, fear seems to be a big one. It could be fear of the unknown. What, God, what is God going to do next? Maybe fear of failure. I may just fail as I walk by, by faith. Or maybe there's going to be pain and suffering if I walk by faith. You know what I've discovered about people that use that third excuse for not walking by faith? They're already living in pain and suffering. Hello. Do you realize that if Christ is not your life, if you're not living from Him, you are miserable? There's no way. I mean, we project these images that everything is fine, and maybe circumstantially. But I'm telling you what, the misery factor without Christ, He's got it rigged. But He has put in us a joy and a peace and a rest that what He's saying is, is that, I, that there is nothing to fear. So let me just give you some steps of faith. How about this? I'm fearful of what is going to happen to me if I really engage God in walking by faith. But Lord, remind me that you're in control. Remind me that you're for me and that you're good. All this is scriptural, isn't it? So I'm trusting you to be my confidence and replace my fear. I want you to think about the truth. Horrible things happen in this world. It's Satan's world. And we tend to look to God and say, why do you let this happen? Or we say this, how could a good God fill in the blank? Or if, if you've been abused or wounded like I was, maybe you said, you know, if God really loves me, why would He let that happen? 
And yet, do any of those statements change the character of God? I mean, I just know, I can't explain the pain and the suffering. I can't explain why these, these things happen. All I know is, is that God's truth is true. And, and I've got a lot less why questions. I don't get many answers to those. But what, I need to, what we need to understand is, it makes no difference how you feel about the truth. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. But I also see that people live in self-condemnation, you know. In other words, because uh, we see in Romans 8.1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let me just give an example of what that looks like in terms of walking by faith. How about this? I'm walking by faith, but I'm still falling. You know, I'm failing. I'm dropping below the line. I'm still going. In other words, I don't think I can go on. Do you think the, uh, the, Satan might be echoing this too? You know, you're, you're taking these steps of faith. Say you want to, you know, be delivered from rejection and really walk in Christ's acceptance. Or maybe as we talked about last hour, that you want to be delivered from the forgiveness or anger you have towards that unlovable person in your life. And you begin taking these steps of faith. And all of a sudden, you're thinking about that person again. Or you're, all those feelings come up again. And what the enemy is, you know what he's saying right then? It just, it's just in your, in your thoughts. That's how the enemy speaks to us, in our thoughts. He says, see, see, it's not working. Go back to self, go back to self, go back to self. That's what you always constantly hear. So, Lord, be my strength to take another step of faith. I think another one that we all struggle with is unbelief. Uh, one, one of these might be, Lord, I don't believe you can change me. I hear this a lot. And yet when you look at Philippians 1.6 like we did yesterday... What, is, what does Paul say? I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So who's the promise keeper? You know, there's an organization called Promise Keepers, and uh, the, only, the only problem I have with the organization is there's only one promise keeper, and that's God. It's not us. Okay? Because, so let, let's just kind of take a few steps of faith. Lord, I don't believe you can change me. Remind me of your truth that you are able and determined to change me. Right now where you sit, in you, you have the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You can't, we can't even fathom the love. But what they know that we don't is what we're going to look like on the other side of walking by faith. I hope I'm preaching to the choir. But I'm telling you, what God wants is for people to let Him do this work in them, this supernatural transformation... Because what he wants to do when he says, I will build my church, you are the church. And what he wants to do through me, through Neil, through you, is draw others to himself so that he can do this eternal work in them. In other words, you are a divine invitation as you let God work in through your life. That was my prayer this weekend. Lord, would you just... Through me, let them see. In other words, let's, let's pull back the curtain and let them see Jesus. Let them see you in and through me. So just ask the Lord that basically He's determined and able. He wants to move you from unbelief to belief. Another big issue that we struggle on this walk of faith is doubt. I mean, we're, we're, we're just lost, confused, unclear, perplexed, disoriented, bewildered about so many things. But when it comes to our walk of faith, a step might be, Lord, I'm just doubting that you're really working in me. And why do we doubt that? Because we, we're not feeling or experiencing anything. So Lord, just remind me that you're working in me even though I'm not feeling or experiencing it. 
Would you be my patience and perseverance until I experience your work? Well, when the enemy wants to insert thoughts, you know what is interesting, and I, I hope you believe that Satan can do that, because when we look at the passage, you remember in the passage where Peter comes to Jesus, and he says, and, and Jesus tells them, all the disciples, that he's going to the cross, you know, he'll be, he'll be buried and resurrected. And you remember what Peter's words were? You know, Lord, may it never have. It says, it said Peter rebuked Jesus. I, I don't know, that kind of makes me a little squeamish, rebuking Jesus. But you'd have to understand Peter, foot and mouth Peter. And so what he said was, is that, you know, this will never happen to you. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. So who put that thought in Peter's mind? It was Satan himself. And so the thing we need to understand about the enemy is he's going to put thoughts in your mind, but they're always going to be in first person. In other words, I better take control of the situation. It's up to me to solve the problem. So let me just give you an example of what it looks like to take a thought captive that comes from the enemy. How about this one? That Satan brings a fleshly, lying thought to mind, such as I have the right not to forgive this unlovable person in my life, this person that hurt me and wounded me. How we take that thought captive is ask the Holy Spirit, what is, what is the truth about that? In other words, what I'm doing is I'm now thinking about the thought that I'm having. And the Holy Spirit, if I can speak the truth, that you don't have the right because you have all of Christ's forgiveness in you. So what we're doing is we're engaging God with His truth to do battle in our minds. And the good news is that you have this thing called armor. And if I were to take all the characteristics of Christ's life, love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things, that makes up my armor. In other words, your spiritual armor is Christ himself. So when you think about armor, when I trusted Jesus, when I became, or let's put it this way, when I came to know Christ's life, I started every step of faith, my, my armor was about as thick as cellophane, Right? So every arrow, every rejecting remark, everything that made me feel inadequate, everything that just made me feel less than, I was taking ownership. But as I kept walking by faith, I kept adding a layer upon layer upon layer of strength to my armor. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I can put enough layers of saran wrap together, I can shoot a forty-five bullet, and it'll stop and so what God is saying is, you've got the armor, I need you to walk in it, I need you to experience it, I need you to grow in it, because you can withstand anything that comes your way. Here's a visual I love. It may not minister to you, but early on in your walk of faith, I want you to look at this for just a second, all right? Your flesh and the power of sin is the bodybuilder. When you really come to know life in Christ, and this is your faith. Who's going to win this battle? I think the flesh is going to win that battle. But let me tell you what happens as we walk in Christ, as we grow in Christ. Now look what happens. Right? My faith gets stronger. I have all the faith I need in Christ, right? Amen? Okay, thank you. If not, then I've got to do another sermon. This could go on until hours. But, okay, so he's our source for our faith. 
So the, the point being is, is that I find myself in Christ. It's through me. He's suppressing the flesh. Now, the flesh doesn't go away. It doesn't get any better. But we overcome it with the truth. We overcome it with being transformed. Because if I believe I'm accepted, when the thought comes to mind that I'm rejected, I have a choice to make, don't I, Joe? I've got to believe the truth of a lie. And the truth is, as God begins to do it, is that I'm accepted in Christ. And that will suppress the flesh and the power of sin each time. Let me tell you something else. That your faith walk is like an IV. And I don't like this. There are a lot of things about the faith walk I don't like. I'm just telling you it's true. I don't know about you, but when it comes to faith, I want an injection. Right? Just give me a, give me a shot and let's go on. Right? Like a flu shot or something. But I want to ask you something. Let's just assume that your body was riddled with 99% of cancer. And I came in, and I said, what's in this bag is going to save your life? If you believed it, would you get on the table? Would you let me stick that big honking needle in your arm? You know how big those are. And why? Because you have faith that what's in that bag is going to save you. But you know what? After an hour or two, because you only have 70 trillion cells in your body, maybe an hour or two or three, and you don't feel anything... Why are you going to stay on that table? Because you still believe, even though you're not feeling or experiencing anything, what's in that bag is going to save your life. That's the Christian life. You take a step of faith. Lord, stick that needle in. I want, because in that bag for you and I is Christ's life. Our joy, our peace, our rest. We want the injection. I want the peace and I want it when? Come on. Now. Now, see, I heard that from the older generation as much as the younger. It doesn't make a difference how old you are. We all want it now. And God says, no, take another step of faith. Take another step of faith. Take another step of faith. I don't feel it. That's okay. Take another step of faith. I still don't feel it. Take another step of faith. Because eventually, you're going to get off that table. You're going to start to experience the fullness of the life of Christ in you. And I'll tell you something else I don't like about this walk of faith is God has never once met my timetable. You know, it's always too slow. He's just never moving fast enough for me. But it's His timing, and I've learned to rest in His timing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to browbeat your pastor to come out here sooner than I did. Just beat him up. What's wrong with this guy? Why won't he just let me come, you know? And yet, you know what God said? It's not time. It wasn't Neil. He was listening to the Spirit. I wasn't. But do you know what I think has happened this weekend? And I'm, I'm absolutely confirmed, but convinced of it based on hearing both um, Neil and Jen and where the church is and all this. This is the exact right time. But I wanted to come out here a year ago. But guess what? Waiting on God's timing, I think it just makes all the difference in the world. I want you to take a close look at this one because someplace we think we're going to arrive where the struggle will be over. Um, that's a cat sitting under that dog, by the way. <clears throat> and um, I think in the Christian life, if you're a cat lover, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's only, he's not going to be crushed. But the point being is that we think we keep living this Christian life. We're going to come to that place where there's no more struggle. I'm sorry, uh, we're living in a fallen world and fallen bodies surrounded by fallen people. The point being is, is that we've got an option 
that unbelievers don't have, and that's that we can live in this thing called peace and rest and joy in the midst of the struggle. And let me give an example. As I shared with you, I struggle with chronic fatigue, and there's just, uh, I'm going to go home this afternoon after church, and I'm, I'm going to crash, okay? I'm just going to crash and burn, and uh, <clears throat> you, know, you could come and, and beat me with a stick, and I wouldn't feel it. I mean, I'll, I'll just be out. I'll be done. And so with this, with this chronic fatigue comes depression. Now, I'm not experiencing that this weekend, but there'll be some mornings I wake up, and, and do you wake up feeling somewhat refreshed, like you had a good night's sleep? I haven't felt that way in 35 years. So I wake up, I'm, I'm already tired, and I'm depressed. So below the line, I'm depressed and fatigued. But you know what God says? Because there's sometimes I just like to wallow. I like to wallow in the depression, wallow in the fatigue, and then I have what's called a self-pity party. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just, oh, poor me. Oh, poor me. And you know what God says? You know, Bill, you can choose to walk in my joy right now. You can choose to go above the line and walk in my joy. And I'm telling you what, more often than not, I say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to wallow today. I'm going to choose to walk in your joy. And you know what happens? My depression doesn't go away. Now, this is a physiological, not a psychological depression. It's part of the condition. <clears throat> and I can go through the day fatigued and depressed, living in Christ's joy. And you know why? Because it's a supernatural joy that either depression or fatigue can rob me. And so what God is saying is there is going to be struggle, but He's saying you can live above the line in that struggle. And I, I, I just see it all the time, just in my own life. But well, we need to also understand that transformation is, is, for the most part, a journey rather than a sprint. It's a lifelong surgical procedure. But here's the good news, because as you walk by faith, there ought to be evidence of that. Here's the evidence. As we learn the, about Christ as our life, as we let Him live His life in us and through us, your mind will begin to think and believe God's truth. I just believe more truth now. I, I knew a lot of it, I just didn't believe it. How about this? You begin to make choices based on the truth that you're now thinking and feeling. And didn't life all boil down to a choice? Flesh, spirit, Christ, self. You begin to experience a supernatural change in your attitudes and behavior. Uh, for those of you that weren't here, I wish I could bring my old self. This angry, controlling, vindictive, unforgiving, unhappy self in here. I just don't live there anymore. I just love what God has done. I, I still got issues. I mean, if you came, just don't call my wife. She'd tell you there are some issues. But I just really feel there's so much change in my attitudes and behavior. There, you'll experience healing of your woundedness. We've all been wounded. I, I don't think anybody escapes that, I've discovered. It's just how you were wounded. But you can experience the healing of that. And then you'll begin to experience a freedom and victory that you never thought possible. Your Christ confidence in God's ability will grow. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Your desire to walk by faith will grow. Your desire to turn back to self will decrease. You'll find that your love and desire for God will grow. I'm just beginning to understand the height and length and breadth and depth of His love. And the more that I pursue that, the more that I'm experiencing it. 
But I hope and pray that if you're not where this last point is, that you will be, because you're going to find yourself more and more being stunned and awe and overwhelmed of God, who God is and what He's done in your life. I just can't believe it. I know what I deserve. I was depressed and suicidal. If I didn't understand Christ's life, if I didn't appropriate the life, I would be dead today. So here's my final words to you guys. As you walk by faith, you're, you're going to be tempted. Uh, basically, you're going to be tempted to doubt God's ability and willingness to transform your life. You're going to get frustrated and angry with God in this walk. You may be even tempted to condemn yourself because you feel like you're failing in this life. In fact, you may be tempted to give up many times. And I know it's strong. That's why we need the body of Christ walking with us. Because here's the problem is, is if you decide to give up on God, your only other option is self. And you end up in what I call a prodigal pig pen. You know what's in a pig pen, folks? I actually had a pig farmer come to a conference once and start to describe it, and I said, that's too much information, okay? It's too close to lunch. But do you see what, what we're saying here? Your only option really is Christ. So let me give you just an, an exhortation. When everything within you says, I must take back control of my life, take another step of faith. When you demand answers from God and you don't get them, take another step of faith. When you're in more pain than you can bear, take another step of faith. When you're perplexed, confused, and bewildered, simply take another step of faith. Because, see, there are two kinds of Christians. I love this passage. We were talking about this last night. One is John 6.66 Christian. I don't know if you remember the story, but there were many of, uh, you had the 12 disciples and many others. We have no idea how many were surrounding Jesus at that point. But he basically, as he's teaching, in John 6.66, it said many of his disciples walked away. And then there's a John 6.68 Christian, which uh, I think Peter finally figured out something. Because when Jesus saw all these other disciples and followers walking away, he turns to the twelve and he says this, Are you going to go with them? And you know what Paul, what Peter said? I love it. He said, to whom, who, who else could we go to? You have the words of life. So what, where did the disciples figure out? There's no other option but Jesus. There's no other way but the way. Because if you turn away from Christ, you need to understand and hear me. You go back to self as the source. And it says the mindset on the flesh is death. Nothing can come out of your flesh. Nothing can come out of your self-life. So my, 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 and as I minister to people, I ask this question, are you a John 666 Christian or a John 668? That, that's where God is taking us. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge I pray not from Bill Loveless, but from the Holy Spirit. Will you take enough steps of faith to experience a supernatural change in the way you think, feel, choose, and believe? in order to build your Christ confidence in His ability and desire to transform your life. What I hear and what I heard last night from Neil and Jen was Christ's confidence. They know this word. They don't just think it. They don't just believe it. They, they walk in it. They believe it. They're, they're appropriating it. And what I heard as we were in this conversation is Christ's confidence. 
I know what God is able to do. I have seen it. I've experienced it. And guess what? Their passion for you is the same thing. To have the same Christ confidence. So let me just sum it up in this diagram. That we take these steps of faith. As we take these steps of faith, God gives us revelation of His truth. A personal, it's what I call an OIC. And then believing the truth, he moves us from revealing it to believing it. And then as we take steps of faith, we ex- eventually experience the truth. And then what does that do? It builds our Christ confidence in God's desire and ability to transform our lives. So this is the choice. This is life below the line. Uh, if we all, I, I wish I could sit here and listen to all your struggles below the line. Because we all have them, right? And it's going to be something today or something else tomorrow. And what? Because an unbeliever can only live below the line. There is no above the line. But for those of us who have Christ in us, this is where we can live. In the midst of everything below the line. In the midst of pain, you can live in His peace. In the midst of anxiety, you can live in His rest. In the midst of the rejection you may be getting from a family member, you can live in His acceptance. Remember Paul? He says, I'm well content in the midst of persecution, struggles, difficulties. My friends, this is the thing. This is what the entreaty is to you this weekend. You get to live above the line. The question is, are you going to live like an unbeliever and just live below the line and live in the misery that they do? Are you going to engage God? Take these steps of faith. Let Him transform your life. Because I don't know about you, but this is where I want to be. Right at my last breath, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Isn't that where you want to be when you go? At my last breath, this Second Timothy 4, 7, is I want to be able to say what Paul said. But there's one thing, too, and this is where I want to end. And I was sharing this this weekend. But when you read Paul's letters, if you haven't read them in his, as his testimony, would you reread them? He, th- this is Paul writing a letter, a letter that he never knew or thought was going to be part of the Bible. It was just the Holy Spirit was writing it through him. But he is bearing witness <clears throat> to all of these things that God is doing. We get the truth. We get the theology. But for him, it was his testimony. And, and toward the end of his life, he comes to Ephesians 3.20. And this is him bearing witness, not giving you theology. He is telling you personally, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Can we say that with Paul today? He's able. You see, that's, that's what God wants. He wants that. For me, the glorification of God is walking in Christ's likeness. To let Him move us to a place of taking steps of faith, of renewing our mind, of setting us free. And somebody said, you better watch out. We might just get happy. How many happy Christians do you know? We are designed to be the expression of the fullness of Christ's life. When people walk in that door, what they want to be done is they want to be sucked in to the love of Christ, the life of Christ flowing through you. And that's what he says. That's why Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and he wants to live through me. 
And every one of you are expressions, a unique expression of Christ. And what he's saying is, you're living in this branch vine relationship. Take these steps of faith. Let me change you. Let me transform you. I'm going to move you and move you to a place you never thought possible. And that's what Paul's saying. I can't believe. I used to kill Christians for a living. And now look at where God has brought me. He's brought me to this incredible, abundant life that Jesus was talking about. And he's saying, don't tell me what God can't do because he's radically changed my life. And that's exactly how I feel about mine. And so that's the invitation. That's the challenge. That's the exhortation. Understand who Christ is in you. Realize that everything He is is a person. He is your peace. He is your joy. He is your rest. He's inviting you. Would you walk in it? Would you draw on Him? Would you live from Him? And if you do, you you will move to places that you never thought you would ever see this side of eternity. And that's where I feel God's brought me today. And I've got a lot of work left. That's why I think He's going to keep me around for maybe another day or two. But the point being is, the only reason I'm here today is because of what He's done in me. It's the only reason I'm here today, because I couldn't bear witness to anything if He hadn't done it. And yet we're all witness bearers. So I pray for you that when we, uh, as as I leave this place, as I fly back to Texas, and I'm thinking about you, it's going to be only one prayer. Lord, give them the willingness to take the next step of faith and the next step of faith and the next step of faith. And then stand back. Because if you thought the parting in the Red Sea was something supernatural, it pales in comparison to what He's going to do in your life. Amen? Father, I just, I'm overjoyed. Uh, I'm, I'm just excited about being here. Lord, this is how much You love me, that You would bring me here with these saints And Lord, you know every issue they're facing. You know every struggle. You know every heartache. You know what they don't believe. You know the false beliefs. You know what's come out of their woundedness. Lord, you know their flesh. And what you're saying is greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And that's you. You're the overcomer. And so Lord, would you give us the willingness in the midst of our unbelief that we know you can do it. We just don't believe you can But Lord, until we take the steps of faith, until we appropriate your life in us, nothing's ever going to change. So would you give us the willingness to take the first step? Or maybe it's the second step. Or maybe somebody feels like today they've fallen below the line. Would you give them the willingness to take another step of faith and get above the line? Lord, I'm just so thankful there's an above the line. And I pray, would you move our hearts to live there moment by moment. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for letting me come. It's been a blessing. Thank you.